Here we are again. Here we are again. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Uh, episode two. Or conversation. Episode two. Tw- Con- 24 con- hours later. <laughs> conversation two, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, people at home might be hearing this like week after week. But yes, we're doing this indeed. like day, every day. We're just... Every day for a week. Yeah. It's, it's something to look forward to. I was just saying before we got rolling, you know, it's 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 a mid kind of shutdown or very early shutdown here. And today was just weighing a little heavier on me. So it's uh, it's very nice to be sitting here talking to you across the world. Yeah. And I had... Uh, I, I, over here, it's, it's evening while I'm recording. And so yeah. I've had all day. My day has been like looking forward to this moment. And so I'm here. No, I'm good. I'm good. It's like it got me through this this hard day. Welcome, my friend. Uh, as said uh, I played a, a game of. Um, it was called Honey Heist. It was a role playing game on the weekend, uh, and uh, and I played it with a an old improv bud from Sydney who was uh, DMing the whole thing, and then another improv bud from Sydney, and then a friend of his from Brisbane, and then a friend of his from Melbourne, uh, Adelaide. Wow. So there were four, uh, five different cities, four different cities uh, from all over, and it was we we're kind of marvelling how this social distancing is actually bringing like distant friends together a lot more <laughs> it's so true um, yeah so it's uh, it's it's kind of weird that you know i guess we don't have these immediate circles at the moment but it's it's bringing you know more kind of uh, acquaintances that you know dear friends who you see every once in a while uh are coming back into contact a lot more which is nice yeah it is nice and it's also like about finding people in the same situation as you so as yeah. an improviser out of work, it's nice to talk to other improvisers that are out of work. <laughs> so yeah, it's and been, just make up stories together. <laughs> I spent so much time like calling friends in other cities, like, "How are you holding up? Are you okay?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, let's let's launch into it. So today we're talking about genre and style, or genre yes. or style, genre style, genre slash style. Just genres, genre slash style. I uh, I guess I don't. Do you, I never say style. I always say genre. Yeah, I, th- I think I say genre, but sometimes I say style, like in the style of something, oh, yeah, something, instead yeah. of, because you wouldn't say like in the genre of Quentin mm-hmm. Tarantino, you'd say yeah. in the style of the style Quentin Tarantino. Of, yeah, like, like I don't the, know, yeah, how do you make a the distinction between the two? Theater sports game, the style of, yeah, I guess. Um, I guess I, I guess it's just what sounds right. I guess if in passing you're in conversation, it's in the style of this. Because it, it takes so much work to go, uh, well, it is the genre of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I also say like genre from speaking about a, a larger body of work, like like science mm-hmm. fiction would be genre or or, uh, yep. or like even Western is like a genre, but something more specific or like a, a specific author or playwright. Like if I was talking about Margaret Atwood, great Canadian mm-hmm. author, I wouldn't say the genre of Margaret Atwood. I yes. would say the style of Margaret Atwood, yeah, which is the genre of like you know, uh, uh, speculative fiction or or science mm-hmm. fiction or or apocalyptic fiction, depending on which book you're reading. <laughs> 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 yeah, so uh, that's what we're talking about: genre, yes, genre slash slash style. style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Paper Street, which is my company, uh, yes. that we were going to do a festival that you were going to come to. <sighs> Uh, we do lots of genre. Like that's mostly what we do uh, mm-hmm. is is genre, and we've been doing that for just about ten years now. Uh, and uh, I think I like to think I do it in a way that is good because uh, I think this is my first thing I want to talk to you about. Uh, jump right into yeah. it. Uh, good, bad genre. Is it good? Is it bad? 
can it be done good? Can it be done bad? What is it when it's done good? What is it yeah. when it's done bad? Like most of the things that we were talking about yesterday, I have seen it in all its forms over the yeah. journey. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it done spectacularly well, and I've seen it done terribly um, as well. Uh, and some of it comes down to, like we were talking about yesterday, the skill of the performers that are that are doing it. Uh, and sometimes you just have to take your your hat off that they're having a crack at it and uh, and 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 kind of going for it. Uh, and sometimes you see people who are just so skilled with the genre or style uh, and understand it so deeply that it looks effortless um, yeah. that they can kind of swim inside it a little bit. So uh, I think a good genre piece is something that evokes the style of whatever you're you're trying to do, uh, but it, it also allows you the freedom to discover new stories within that style and maybe even new shapes of stories within that style uh, or, or genre because one of the things that I, I find happens a lot with genres, people understand the genre via signposts that, that happen in the beats of, of a certain kind yeah. of thing. So so they stick those signposts in the genre, in the format or in the structure of the show and say we have to set up you know, the protagonist, the antagonist, get to this point here and then work from this point to this point. And I, I find that that is where things can go wrong. And I don't like to use that word wrong in improv a lot, but it's only going wrong because I think that people panic when they're not inevitably not go, going from point A to point B or point B to point C because someone's made a wildly different offer that kind of takes them away from where they air quotes should be going in the in the format so i guess that um that kind of good uh genre work is something that that uh springs off of the the genre that uses it to to evolve the action uh and and bad bad genre work is something that cages it up again i mean it's yeah. a similar thing to what we're talking about in in the format stuff yeah i i want to i um, want to get deeper on one of these things you mentioned here which i i think to me is the big the big distinction between good 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 genre work and not so good is that coming out which way are you coming at it from so are you coming at it through story or -hmm. are you coming at it through feeling and mood and and flavor or 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 texture whatever you want to use the the other way to come at it from Uh, yeah and i feel like um most of the work i see that is not good uh, i know it's hard to I, I want to say the word wrong, but you're right. It, I shouldn't use that word. <laughs> the stuff that I don't enjoy mm-hmm. is when they are looking at the genre and they, they think the story is part of the genre instead yes. of the story is what's happening through that lens of the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, like one of the things we do, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more later about how we, we personally approach genre, but uh, one of the exercises I love for genre work is just recreating a fairy tale in the genre so the Mm -hmm. story is completely separate and it's all we already know the story you know like the wolf is going to knock on the door and the three little pigs are going to tell him to go away one at a time except we're going to make it feel like this genre using all of the other tools associated with genre uh that's one of my one of the training tips tools i like to use because it gets people thinking about feeling and not about story and realizing that oh yeah 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 there doesn't need to be a shootout at noon in a western yeah that's not what makes it a western you can make it feel like a western the whole time through 
Mm. Yeah, and, and that goes back to those uh, theatre sports games literally playing the style of that you're trying to do something like that in, in a short short amount of time. But to give yourself a, a, a good amount of time to not focus on story but fi- find the energy that, that breathes this kind of genre to life is a really nice exercise to have, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... so uh Coming at it from story, it makes it kind of uh, gets hits it on those like signposts and gets it all clunky, and becomes mm. too too structured. Instead yeah. of just understanding the the uh, like, you know, let's just get into it. The the, the way that, that I approach genre uh, is understanding yeah. the language of the genre. What are the words yes. and the vocabulary and the vernacular that is used in this world? Uh, understanding the physicality of the genre. How do they move in order to look? Like they're in that genre, uh, mm-hmm. and then the other thing I look at is is the theme, themes that are explored to that genre. Like, why does that genre exist, and what is that genre exploring? Uh, yes. Or if it's more specific to an author, why did that author write what they wrote? Like, mm-hmm. what was it that led to that art being in the world? Uh, and that's sort of the way I approach it. And then eventually, I get to story. Because there's eventually a point where you have to say, like, okay, and westerns are are, you, are set in the old west, yes, <laughs> or and westerns they or have guns, they have guns. <laughs> there's like some specific things in the genre that you have to you have to abide mm-hmm. by, but it's the last thing that we should be looking at, not the first thing. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of uh, newer newer people get inspired by genre. Uh, we spoke about a little bit in format yesterday. They get inspired by something that they love and something that entertains them and something that they want to replicate. Uh, so they get distracted by the the physical, uh, like the the physical things or the story things that they want to replicate, and they don't do that deeper work. They don't go, "What is it behind it? What are the storytellers actually doing here?" Um, and yeah, I, I think that so people can, yes, replicate a perfect genre of, of something like uh, on the stage. Oh, there's a big loud truck going by <laughs> my house. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, so they, they can replicate a, a, a genre on stage, but it can still and, and hit those notes perfectly, can look great, can hit those signposts well, but still leave improvisers feeling flat on the other side of it because they haven't really had a great time in in the in in the format um yeah so it's how you leave improvisers room or it's it's not how you leave improvisers room to play it's how you position the improvisers to to the point where they can play i guess Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So understanding, like you said, un- breaking down thematically what what works. Yes, these are the tools that that happen in that uh, in that particular genre, or that particular format. But uh, you know, these this is what we want to lead you into. We wanted this. Uh, you know, uh, how does subtext work in the genre? Um, mm. and, and what are you saying? You know, just by bringing these these characters in as well, um, and so uh, understanding the mechanics of of the stories is better than than just signposting what should happen. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And like, it it doesn't say uh, you can't also have a format on your genre piece. Like, uh, oh yeah like certain kinds of openings or, or using certain techniques within the genre, uh, but yep. not 
making it so the actual genre part itself is is a format. Like this is the thing I, I see when I watch improvisers do genre that they they struggle with. And I think it, it hurts the show is that they're trying to make the genre into a format. They're trying to yes. say like, there's always this, there's always that. You have to do this. You have to do that. Instead of the, the, the phrase I've been using lately when I teach genre work is, is grammar. It's a grammar, right? It's learning, learning a specific grammar so that way you can think about it when you have to. You can look at it. You can analyze the grammar. But when you're speaking, mm-hmm. you just speak. You never yeah. think about grammar when you're speaking. And so you want to learn yeah. the genre in that sort of way where you know the feelings, the words, the the movements, the the pacing of it. So that when you're improvising, you're just improvising. But you've got yeah. this little, this uh, this other language that you're speaking when you're up there. Mm. Yeah. And, and yesterday, I, I uh, one thing that I love about genre in particularly uh, is is that idea that it puts the audience and the improviser in the same circle of expectation right away? You say you're going to do this, and the audience know what to expect. So, yeah. in essence, if you deliver uh, on on that promise, you're already pleasing the audience. You don't need to you don't need to slam it home and go. This is what actually happens here. Um, you know, if you're doing a science fiction and you enter the stage by doing a psh door, you know, <laughs> and wow. stuff like that. Uh, uh, it's, it's the language that, that's there already, and the audience are doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you. And so uh, I think a lot of improvisers try to hit the audience over the head with the, with the, um, with the genre work that they're doing, like thrust it down their throat and say, look how much we understand this, rather than letting the audience come meet them on the stage, uh, which was one of the uh, big takeaways that I've always taught from, uh, again, dealing with Randy, uh, is the idea of um, uh, the idea of creating a show that leaves, that invites the audience to become a part of it. So, you are essentially making like a three-quarter circle and the uh, or the audience is the other quarter of that circle and at some point over the the 50 minutes that you're doing your show you want them to to join in um you want to invite them in and become part of the story with you um and and let them buy into the story so if you're dictating at the audience the whole time they're gonna sit back there and they'll be judging whether you're getting it right or wrong there's no invitation for them to to be there so if you understand that your audience wants to tell a story with you and wants to do that, and then you say, this is the genre that we're doing, automatically, subconsciously, they fill their brain with everything that they know from that genre. So you actually have to work a lot less than you think you have to to push that genre over the line because you because the audience are there, ready to go, wanting to join you on the stage. And I think that that when improvisers kind of hit that kind of signposty stuff or try to turn it into the genre into a format, they they push the audience away uh, mm-hmm. a little, which makes Just it... Uh, hit uh, them over the head with it. Yeah. <clears throat> like yeah. You, you're riding on a horse and claim somebody shot your brother and then somebody <laughs> gets drunk and there's a bar fight all in the first scene. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, yeah. calm down. Whoa. <laughs> pick pick one thing and just kind of follow the story. Yeah. 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 And it is something I think, uh, this is, I think, something else. Like, we're going to talk about storytelling in another episode. But mm. separating story and genre is so important. Uh, but it also is one of the the problems with genre work because most genre work is is like 
movies or plays. That's what people are looking yes. at. Yes. And so you're you're suddenly thrust into a world where you're telling a 45 minute or as Paper Street does an hour and a half story mm-hmm. in one go. That's a that's a long narrative to maintain for improvisers. Most do 25 minutes max. Uh, and yeah. even in the 25 minute, there's like three story threads. So there's only three scenes of each narrative that you, you kind of hit it. Where with a genre, it's like, whoa, you got an hour and a half or you got an hour. You got to mm-hmm. stretch the story out. And in, and in having to do that, not having those long form narrative skills all the time, they start structuring the story into the genre because that's the only mm-hmm. way they can maintain it. So I think, uh, and this is something we've struggled with the Paper Street too, is bringing newer people into the company that don't have that same understanding of long form narrative. Yeah. That that they get tripped up having to do all of a sudden a lot of genre work and narrative work. And it's it's challenging. And they rise to the occasion, but it's hard. Yeah. And this is, again, it's something we're going to talk about down the line. But it's to me, it's the difference between a plotting improviser and, a, and an improviser can tell a story from the inside out versus the outside in. Yeah. Great. Um, again, which is something we'll get into in another episode. And <laughs> I'm trying but, so hard uh, not to talk about story. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I, I think divorcing the two uh, is, is fantastic. And the other thing that I'd add in there uh, that genre is separate to the narrative or the story, but it's also separate to our craft. So you can you can muscle in different elements of our craft that are from different forms or different things that serve the way that you want to tell your stories within that genre. Um, so uh, I mean, I know exactly I know exactly what you're talking about. But could you give an example yeah. for the people at home? Sure, <laughs> it's something <laughs> that uh, that I created. Is uh, I I, I saw uh, the Laurent and did some Laurent for a while. Uh, Laurent is the the format where you have six or eight improviser. Uh, A does a story with uh, a scene with B um, for a short amount of time. Then uh, B plays the same character into a story with C and so forth. So A and C never meet, A and D never meet, uh, and all those characters never meet, but they have a degree of separation. And... Um, I'd always enjoyed the form, but I always found it was very frustrating because improvisers who were kind of at the 12 and 6 would know everything about the, uh, like the improviser bringing offers and stories in, would know everything about everything that's come before because they've heard it on the side of the stage. But in essence, their character wouldn't. Uh, but their character would, uh, the improviser would try to be linking all these story things through the Laurent, which were uh, rather than just play the scene, and it it seemed to rob the value out of the Laurent. So every time I saw it, I, I always got frustrated with it because I'm like, you don't know what happened two scenes before. Your character wasn't there, and I'd always get frustrated. And so I wanted to try to use the Laurent in a way that could uh, that I feel like. Uh, it, it should be used where the characters don't know each other. They have this degree of separation. Uh, and so I use it in a format called Fat City, which is a two-act, um, again, hour-and-a-half, two-hour show. Uh, in the second half of the first act, I do a Laurent where we meet uh, eight characters, six to eight characters. Uh, and then uh, we, I've tried to encourage the cast to play the Laurent as, as truly as they can. So just 
be involved in the scenes that they're involved in. Don't gossip about anything else that they've heard outside of that scene. Uh, don't talk about any of the other characters. Just play the immediate scene with their two scenes in there. Um, and hopefully they're very different scenes that show very different sides of those characters. Um, so you're not just seeing the same character twice, which was another flaw that I, I felt I, I saw in La Ronde a lot. Uh, people just playing the same character in both scenes rather than giving us some dimension to their characters. Uh, and so uh, then at halftime, uh, we go uh, off stage and the cast says, who was the most interesting story of the La Ronde? And we pick someone around that dial and then we kind of fold out a straight line from that. So say it was the four o'clock the, the uh, five and six become kind of immediate characters and we just kind of roll the clock face out into a straight line. Um, so if they were the, the, the four o'clock, then the 11 o'clock would be kind of right on the outskirts of that and that turns into a cast design, which we'll get into again in story later on. But I, I think that you can use things that you've seen or tools or even elements of other forms to try to help your genre work, to try to keep people in the moment um, because Fat City is a pulp, Frank Miller-esque kind of pulp, uh, fiction-y kind of uh, format, then I wanted these characters to create the world through the characters, not through the tropes that they think that they should be, you know. So you're um, almost, you're tricking them out of thinking about story. Yeah. So they can just focus on the feeling and then later we'll figure out later. the story, which is exactly yeah. what you want to do in a pulp, pulp novel type format. Yeah. 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 And, they, and, and so they don't have to focus on, on narrative at all until the second half where we do a 50 minute narrative based on those couple of scenes that we saw in the La Ronde as well. Yeah. So, um, so like so, an example from, from one of the Paper Street shows, uh, one of our most beloved shows actually was our improvised Agatha Christie, uh, murder mystery style show. And, uh, and that one we did as a two, two act, right? So we had the first act, second act. And uh, one of the things that everyone always wanted to do, which I think is perfectly natural, is they want to, uh, like I think even the version you guys do, uh, you want to know who the killer is uh, at mm -hmm. the beginning so that you can start planting seeds and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't want that. I wanted people to have to improvise and discover who the killer was going to be uh, or, mm -hmm. or make it seem as though everyone could be the killer yeah. in the first act. So we didn't know who the killer was and everyone just had to improvise and everyone had to make it seem like they could be the murderer and they could be the yes. victim because we didn't know. And then before the first half of the show would end, we would, uh, somebody, whoever felt like they were the most likely victim would come out and narrate. Um, uh, we find the body of Dave Morris laying on the ground in his study. And then mm -hmm. someone else would come out and say, like, Jason Geary found him when he came to bring him his good night, his evening milk. Uh, and then we would narrate, all the other characters would narrate their way in and add clues and start building a mystery box, right? Like that Agatha mm -hmm. Christie mystery box uh, around the murder without knowing who the murderer is yet. So yep. we have to throw shade on everybody and try and incriminate everybody. Uh, and then after the intermission, we would give everybody a card and one of them had an M on it for murderer. And the others mm -hmm. were just blank. And so now, at the beginning of the second half, everyone looks at their cards, and the murderer now knows they're the murderer. And they have to try to justify everything that happened in that first murder. Uh, yeah. And what it did in the end, which is, which, which it perfectly replicated what it's like 
experiencing any of the Christie novel. Because in the first half, anyone could be the murderer. It's like, yes. ooh, and everyone seems suspicious and everyone is dropping clues and everyone is like, is like leaving awkward pauses in the middle of their sentences. You're like, ooh, maybe that means something. Um, but the audience knows that we don't know and nobody knows. And then at the end, we find out who it is. And so we actually have to start putting the puzzle together on stage. And it kept you from thinking about how you're going to do the murder. And instead, yeah. how do I know this person? Why would I kill that person? Why would I kill that person? What's my secret that I'm like trying to make it seem all mysterious, which actually made it feel mysterious. Uh, yeah. And so that's just like a sort of classic, like hidden information kind of game, right? Like from Mafia or Werewolf or something. Uh, yeah. And that little technique of that game uh mixed with a, a narrative scene painting technique before the intermission and that game in the second right after the intermission that was all we needed as far as format goes the rest was just yeah. like no oh, you don't need any more structure than that you just now you just get to play characters in the first half and solve a mystery in the second half yeah 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 it's so much fun yeah murder village is is similar in the sense that we know the cast know who the uh the murderer and the victim is but we don't want to uh, we have a member of the cast who's playing a uh, agate miss marple type character who is sitting with the audience when they come in and she has to try to figure out the the, sure, the yeah. clues and stuff so so we yeah we we try to be as ambiguous as we can and just build interesting relationships in the first half that's that's what we want anyone could be anyone to each other yeah it's so much fun to do as well the other unique thing that murder village has is uh it, we uh we, we spend rehearsals creating characters um and so they uh, there is a uh, an official kind of mur an official uh, list of characters that have been killed out of the village. So you may be a character two or three times, but if you get murdered, that's it. You have to come up with a new character. So you guys keep uh, characters going uh, for from that. Uh, yeah, and not necessarily the same characters all the time. We have a, a two or three on the go at any one given time. Um, but uh, yes, I've been everything from uh, groundskeepers to grave diggers to uh, a, a retired uh, actors to uh, uh, musicians, to, you know, um, butlers, to uh, the mayors and politicians and all that sort of stuff. So uh, so we we know what we're going to be walking into the venue that night. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes we've played that character two or three times before. So it just evolves this, this wonderful mm -hmm. character that you're constantly finding new things out about until you eventually and inevitably get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have so to retire that character. So when we when I when I approach genre, I I lean as far away from that uh, repeating characters as possible. Uh, yeah. It's just something I, I've never I've never enjoyed doing as an improviser. Uh, it feels like that's where I start getting stuck in this. I know who I'm going to be on stage that night already, and it yeah throws me off. Uh, so anytime Paper Shoot does something, I'm like, no, no, no repeating characters. No. You have to make yeah. a new character this every one time. Is the first time I've done that, and it's something that I've actually grown to enjoy because it uh, because you've got to dig deeper every time. You you can't just 
you can't just kind of rely on on the the what you already know about the character and you're often meeting different characters who they haven't played with before so you're forging new relationships yeah. and stuff like that so it uh, it's taken me into a place where all of that stuff when you're doing something the first time and all of that kind of character history that's assumed that you kind of uh, gift to yourself in that assumption um, when you walk out onto the stage is kind of where I play from. You know, it's it's just that I've happened that information has actually happened mm-hmm. two times or, th- or or three times prior with that character. So um, it's it, it's I've been very surprised by how much freedom there is in that particular format um, as as an, a performer and an, mm. and an improviser and how much I actually enjoy stepping back into those roles. But I see what you're saying, and, and I love that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah, same with, I, it's just with uh, Fat City. I think uh, the, most, the only time I've ever experienced shows where you come with a prepared character are those, uh, and it's going to get me in trouble, I'm just gonna, <laughs> is, is those soap opera shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to say those soap opera shows because we've all been in one We've all seen one. Uh, most major cities have one now. That's yeah. like the improvised soap opera something, something. Uh, and it's this cast of people that have the same characters that they play every week and they do a weekly show. Mm-hmm. And it's and there's a director in the back calling the scenes or something like that. And so there's so many other parts of that format that I hate. <laughs> that yeah. It has just tainted that, um, that, that character stuff. The idea me. of coming with a prepared character in a way that I'm like, no, it must be bad because I've never liked it. Uh, so oh, maybe right. there's a way to do it well. Like we did, uh, <laughs> like the closest we ever came to doing uh, something with similar characters was just archetypes. So we did, uh, we did a yep. sitcom, we did a sitcom show. Uh, and in sitcoms, there's very clear archetypes uh, mm-hmm. that we took right out of the seven characters, or eight characters of comedy, uh, the neurotic one, the dumb one, the in their own universe, the mean one, the all, all those. Yep. If you're, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, highly recommend everyone listen, look it up. Because uh, it's very fascinating and just ruins sitcoms for you. And by ruins, I mean yeah. changes your way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, it and so again, we, we we had them all on, on cards. And so at the beginning of the show, everyone got a card. Or six characters got six cards. And they would come forward and look at their card and then announce, do like a quick little monologue of who they were in this sitcom universe. Yeah. To establish like the mean one uh, comes out and if the setting was like a, a, I don't know, a zoo they'd be the the zookeeper the manager or or something of the yeah. zoo and be super mean about it uh or uh you know the dumb one would be the the elephant shit shuffler mm-hmm. and you just find your role in this world through the lens of that archetype uh and yeah. then from there you just you just play uh and it was super fun sitcom was actually really fun uh maybe this maybe this segues into into the next topic here uh, yeah, because I'd love to talk about sitcom more. Because uh, when you get an idea for a genre, or you're inspired to do a genre, when you're building the format, or building the 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 elements, or trying to mm-hmm. dissect the style, like uh, like what are the stages you go through? What are the things you look at? What are the the things you try? Do you try things and throw them out? Uh, like what what's that process like for you? Like when like you talked about when you're doing Fat City. Uh, any other yep. genre work you've you've built up, and and what's your approach? Or do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go first if you like. I I, I can talk, but you, yeah, go for us. Yeah, that's well, that's cool. So like like so, sitcom was the one I was just talking about because that was like uh, we wanted to try a sitcom, and I was like, okay, so if we were to do a sitcom, what would that show look like? Uh, uh, and if if it needed to be a sitcom, they're only twenty two minutes long, so 
we couldn't do just a 22 minute show. So we'd yeah. have to do at least three in a, in a night to make it feel like a full show. And that was mm-hmm. where it, that, that just that simple restriction of it was like the boom done. That's great. We're going to make up a sitcom every night. And so every night is a yep. new sitcom and we do three episodes of that sitcom. And so, uh, the, the original idea was we do a pilot and then we do a normal episode and then we have an intermission. After the intermission, we do a very special episode, right? With right. Like something <laughs> like, what makes this episode different? And so you'd have things yeah. like a guest star, or it was a Christmas episode, or it was a, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of, or like it the was a reunion episode. episode. Yeah, The yeah. final episode. So it's like, what made this episode different? So uh, so that was sort of like, we, we it started from that restriction of, of what a sitcom is. And then it, become, it became about uh, what is, what what are the th- what is a sitcom what is the main thing about all sitcoms and that was where we fell into the eight characters of comedy that they all have these very archetypal characters and so that was what sort of was like okay so we need to make sure we have these archetypal characters and then we do three episodes and then the other part of of course the world that they're in the like the 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 police station or the the, the environment of the sitcom uh, so that kind of led to those elements of like the cards for the characters of comedy. Cause that was the easiest way to, to assign them without us preparing them. And it, because I, I don't like that. <laughs> so how, yeah, yeah. how to get the characters out and then, uh, and then building the three episodes was like, okay, we have to do three. So we need something after the intermission to inspire us. So we don't get too much pre thinking at intermission. Like you get stuck in your head. Uh, mm-hmm. so that was what we'd ask for with what makes this one special. So we wouldn't be able to like talk backstage about things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the rest was just finding the fun elements of the style. Like what makes it sound like a sitcom with like the one liner jokes and the, the kind of over the top delivery and, uh, and, and how, when you don't have an audience laughing, you're mostly just a bunch of people being mean to each other. <laughs> it's really, it was really funny. The dress rehearsal for the sitcom show. Uh, like everyone was like really depressed. <laughs> they were like, this is so sad. This is not funny. Uh, and then we did the first show and with an audience laughing, it was like night and day. It was so much fun. It was like one of our favorite shows ever. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I think for me, when I'm looking at a genre, it, it goes back to, to what we've been saying and kind of what I, I, I talked about uh, a little bit yesterday with, uh, with the, like Murakami or something like that is I, I want to, I want to pull it apart before uh, and know what it's what's at the core of the genre uh, before I start even thinking about how I'm going to get improvisers to go into it. So just replicating something isn't an option. Um, yeah. it, it's it, it's not enough. You need to understand one why you're impassioned about that genre and what it, what it does for you as a director of improv uh, or a director of an improv. Th- uh, a company or a season or something like that. What ha- what's driven you to this point? You know, it's not enough to just go. I like sitcoms. Let's do sitcoms. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. wanting to explore the form a little bit and and understand what brought you to that decision. Um, there, you know, uh, it, it, you know what brought you to Jane Austen and 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 why are you there? What are the things that light you up about that? And what do you want your audience to experience? On the flip side of a show, uh, what do you want them to take away? So finding those things inside of the making those connections, I guess, 
I guess, emotional connections, but also uh, cerebral, you know, uh, intellectual uh, decisions about uh, what it is that is inside the genre that that speaks to you. Um, and so you're not replicating that. You're speaking that as well. That's the thing. You're using the genre to tell stories within this within this new form um, mm-hmm. that that you come up with with the with the genre setting that circle of expectation. So, what do you want your audience to leave with? You know, and sure. and for me, it's always wanting them to leave with that passion for the for for the genre that brought me to wanting to do it in the first place um Mm -hmm. so um so taking it breaking it down connecting to it and then as you said before going into what it is about the the genre that makes it uh unique you know that 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 uh it's not the stories that are told within it but the worlds uh, in which they created the the archetypes which exist within them all of this sort of stuff, which again goes into stories, how protagonists work uh, in that kind of genre as well, um, mm-hmm. and how they flow flow through the stories. So understanding understanding the mechanics of those stories, but not using the, those mechanics as signposts for the format, yeah. um, and and so giving yourself the vocabulary to be able to get a group of improvisers in a room and say, "All right, here's the genre that we're doing, and this is what." what we're trying to capture here. Yeah. And um, I guess, I guess actually that, that goes like to the very, very first thing you do. If you're like, uh, want to tackle the genre is of course, digest as much of that genre as you can. Like if you want to yeah. do a sitcom, you better be watching every sitcom you can get your hands on for months. Yep. Like, like I do, I do too much research. I think when I do genre stuff, uh, yeah. compared to some other improv companies I've talked to, but, but that to me is so <laughs> important. Is like, it is because I, I think I've seen a lot of, uh, I'm going to use film noir as an example. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen lots of film noir improv, mm-hmm. I think, by improvisers who have never watched a real film noir before. Yes. that who, Who've only seen maybe some spoofs of them or maybe like the Naked Gun movies <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. But they haven't actually gone back and watched like uh, even like, you know, the Maltese Falcon, like just one, just watch one yeah. and get an idea of what it, what it feels like, <laughs> what the original source material uh, felt like. Cause when you watch a film noir, it seems, it seems like improvisers just think a film noir is a detective story with somebody yeah. monologuing with a metaphor. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, they monologue with metaphor in like two film noirs, maybe. <laughs> but most of them are not like that at all. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think again, that that's that idea of, uh, I guess, giving the audience what they want, but not surprising them with what they need, you know? So, yeah. so the, you know, an improviser who has half their foot out in the audience, they're going to hear noir. They're going to do that, step down stage, make that voice, you know, fake a cigarette, and the audience are going to laugh, and, yeah. and, and you know, that's an easy hit, you know, run batted in or whatever it is. Sure. And so they, 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 you know, that temptation for the, I guess, the low-hanging fruit is there. Um, but my expectation is, like, you're climbing the tree and you're going up, you're going up high and, and you're going to bring down the really delicious stuff that people haven't seen before. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's what I want my improvisers to do. And I've been very lucky to have very talented improvisers 
around me here in Melbourne who understand genre as well and understand not the languages genre, they understand genre themselves. They're, they're super intelligent and amazing, but understand what I'm talking about is that that impassioned, like what do we want the audience to feel? Um, they understand that direction and they're really on board with that. So uh, they put those, you know, the extra work in and they, they really kind of sit inside it. Um, so, I, I mean, it's, the talent pool here in Melbourne, and I'm sure in many, many cities, but Melbourne is just ridiculous. So I was very blessed to grow up with some very, you know, some mm-hmm. super talented improvisers that I'm sure many improvisers uh, around the world uh, uh, have come across as well. People like Paddy Styles, Rick Brown, Rama Nicholas, you know, people mm-hmm. like those uh, mm-hmm. were my were my team growing up as a as a young improviser. So finding a, a language in inside genre with with people like that supporting you is is really kind of easy, and it allows you to get away from the tropes um, and get away from and all those have their place. And understanding tropes in a genre is very important, but you can't just rest on them. You know, you, no. you, you need to use to understand them that they're a tool for the storytelling as well. Yeah, I think tools the right word. Like I, I think uh uh in a Western having a shootout with a lot of tension and whistling is <laughs> a very is one one possible thing that might happen once, mm-hmm. but it's not the thing that happens every single time. Uh yeah. and, and I think that is it's a really hard thing to get out of the habit of thinking. Uh even my improvisers, we've been doing this for ten years together, uh, building genre shows. And they still fall into that habit, which I think if you're going to break one habit as an improviser looking at genre, it is the habit of saying they always blah, 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 blah. When talking about genre, you say, oh, yeah, they always do. They always do that. They always do that. And it's like they don't always do any of that. Uh, yeah. So you're you're falling into a trap where you're you're leading you're heading down the path to doing that uh, that highly signposted genre work that that's so that takes the life the life out of it uh, by by thinking there's something they always do. Yeah, and it's it's that thing of these are tools. This is a part of our palette to, that we paint with. What does this story need right now? Like exactly. what, it, and it, it, it may be a high stakes shootout, but it probably won't be. It'll probably be mm-hmm. something else. It'll probably be needs someone whittling on a porch and talking to you. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You know, That's probably what it, it needs. It, it always needs someone whittling always. on a porch. Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> trademark format Got locked away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, I think um, one of the things I love to do with genre. Uh, and I'm going to say style now because I'm uh, when I'm when I'm working with a specific author, especially mm-hmm. so like doing Samuel Beckett or, uh, which is one of my favorite shows to do, or Franz Kafka, also a really fun show to do, uh, yeah. but but uh, or even Edgar Allan Poe, oh, good show. Um, but when you're thinking <laughs> about a specific author and you get to know that author's voice, you get to know that author's uh, like uh, what they what they like to, excuse me, uh, you get to know that author's voice. And you get to know what that author likes to write about. Uh, And then you also uh, start getting to know that author's life and who they are and like what they're all about personally. So when you're on stage, you start, you ask yourself, and this is what I do. I ask myself, what would Samuel Beckett do right now? Like if Samuel Beckett 
was on stage with me? What would he be whispering in my ear that I should do right now? Not what has happened in a Samuel Beckett play that I can now use in this moment to reference. Not not like, not like what's the exact line from a Tarantino movie that I can say right now. But what would Tarantino make happen if this was where he'd gotten himself to? And that being yeah. able to answer that question, I think, is where you where you know the genre or you know the style well enough that you don't have to to think about the the style. You're thinking about yeah. what this author thinks about. And that's where you really start to lose yourself in it. Yeah, I think that comes back to what I set out for at the start, which is the feeling of it, like having yeah. driving for the, the 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 feel of that author rather than replicating like telling new stories in in the style of you know and mm. so knowing what that feeling is that you're shooting for having that author's voice in your ear is is far more beneficial than trying to go yeah cut and paste a little bit from here and a little bit from there yeah um, for starters if you're cutting and pasting you're not present you're not in the story you're you 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 know you've got half a foot in uh, someone's back catalog and half yeah. a foot into trying to make it make sense make the back catalog make sense with the story you're telling uh, rather than getting the spirit of it i guess um be it the author whispering in your ear or you having the feeling that you want to generate with the with the story that you're telling, you know, um, 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. That's that other trap I find, I see people falling into. Um, <clears throat> and it's the, it's the, uh, um, the trap of, of thinking something is a genre when it's not. So <laughs> the trap of let's do an improvised Harry Potter and you have yes. to stop and be like, Harry Potter is not a genre. Okay, oh, it's yes. a story that is a in that is a single narrative that does not constitute a genre, and and as soon as you start doing that, now it's like, like you're doing an improvised James Bond. So like, what <laughs> you're gonna be James Bond? Like that's like the, yeah, so much for the improvising part. Like, what are you doing? Uh, and that's where yeah, I've seen there's a lot there's a there's a bit of that around, but <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble. Either. I know let's not get yourself in trouble, but it is one of those things where I think that is where you're leaving the the world of genre improv and entering into the world of just spoofs, like you're just doing a spoof on a on, yeah. a, on a show, which is not to say that's not that's not allowed. Like feel free to do yeah. improvise Doctor Who or whatever you're doing, but I, I think what what happens is they think that they're now doing genre improv. And so they start talking about genre, genre, this genre, that we should do another genre. And you got to be like, but you guys aren't really doing a genre. You're doing a, a one individual show. You're making fun of yeah. Harry Potter. And you could be very good at it and very successful. The Potter show here is sells out it like regularly. I'm, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and and it, it, you know I've I've seen it a couple of times and had fun with it, you know. But it's 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 as you say, it's it's kind of a spoof and making it's it's kind of like a big in joke. Yeah, you know. And that's the it's, thing. Uh, that's the thing with the genre that I Paper Street, especially, but I personally uh, really drive for is is honoring the genre, really trying to yes to take it and bring it to life as best you can in a very theatrical. Uh, beautiful way and not making jokes at the expense of Jane Austen, who 
is an incredible author and deserves all of our respect. And we're going to go yes. up on stage and be like, yeah, we're just going to fuck around and make fun of Jane Austen a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, I've seen, I've seen my fair share of that. And again, while it's fun, what I aspire to is the same kind of thing that, that, that Paper Street aspires to. I think I want people to experience the genre for what it is and take value out of that and, and those stories that you tell within those constraints. Okay. Um, I got yeah. a, a deep question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you need to love the genre you're doing in order to do it justice? I personally, yes, I do. I, because I want to find that, that passion or, or I want to fall in love with it in the research phase. Yeah. Right. So I, I might, I might not, when I start out, go okay. Uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love this or love that. But I want to fall in love with it while I'm rehearsing it, while I'm, I'm thinking about it, finding ways to, to break it down and connect to it, um, and again, answering those questions of what, what I want the audience to get out of this, um, as well. So it makes it easier for me to have clarity through the process if I do. Yeah. Um, and there have been times where I've had stuff as directors, or artistic directors of companies or, or, or uh, you know, just getting gigs where I've worked with source material or genres that I wasn't really in love with. And it just makes it more work than it should be. Um, and so whether I should have done more work in the prelim to understand it and, um, and, and, and get across it in those circumstances, or I was just never going to love that, um, love that kind of genre or style. Um, so it makes it, my answer is yes. Uh, for me, it makes it heaps easier. Uh, but I can, um, I can also appreciate the fact that what we do is called work for a reason. (laughs) So it doesn't have to be all rainbows and, and good times the whole time. So if you need to find a way in, you should be able to, but I want to, by the time I'm starting to work with my cast, I want to understand it. I want to love it, respect it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and I think that's, that's where like the, the researching really does tilt the, the scales. Like I, I find if I say, I don't know much about the person before I approach the genre in the research phase, when I'm learning about them and I'm, digging into their life and I'm reading about what Samuel Beckett went through during the war and how he like hid Jews in his basement and all this sort of stuff that I'm learning about him. And I'm understanding his love of James Joyce and how he wished he could be just like him, but he couldn't. And all this stuff, like I'm learning the story of this person's life and I'm like, I get where this guy's coming from. Like, wow, I yeah. really love, I love that he made these choices and did the. And so by researching, you slowly fall in love with, the person whether you want to or not like even someone as despicable and uh uh uh, i'm not gonna i don't want to say i love this person but uh uh, hp lovecraft who is like a a famously uh agoraphobic and racist person um you heard it here first folks dave (laughs) morris loves hp lovecraft's news breaking news uh but we did a lovecraft show uh and learning about lovecraft's life and and what the kind of person he was and how uh, uh, socially awkward he was and how terrified of the world of everybody he was and how he like just hid away from everything. Um, It's like you look at his work and you're like, yeah, Uh, I I see, I see why (laughs) I see where this is coming from. And it's almost Mm -hmm. more like, like I, I have, I pity him 
and feel bad for him for the kind of life yes. he had to live and and how uh he the kind of person he turned into but like there's no like like understanding him makes me appreciate his work and his life even though i don't agree with the, everything he yes. said just you heard it here first folks they must just not agree with i think i just <laughs> tap danced over that i don't know did i make it through we'll see no no, no. please <laughs> leave it leave uh, leave a review uh <laughs> with your true feelings about me <laughs> yeah. um, no i i get what you're saying and i, I think it, it, it comes back to that that thing that I think we've both been talking about in in slightly different ways of of wanting to honor the author's voice, uh, wanting to come from a place where the work that we do um, it, it, it communicates that thing that we feel when we engage with that author, um, and 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 so in terms of I think that part of this question was what do you strip out uh, as well? Like you've got to be in yes, I've got to be in love with it. But I, I don't want to suffocate this feeling through the through the form. So uh, as soon as I start feeling that leaving and the genre starting to become uh, starting to take over and weigh things down, weigh the improvisers down, then I'll start going, why is this happening? What are we missing here? What, what is uh, what is it about the author's voice, the uh, ghost of the author or whatever that, that mm-hmm. isn't coming through? Mm-hmm. Um and so uh, that's kind of a, a really true test of uh, of when something's working or when you're just kind of putting something in for the sake of it because it looks cool or it, or it, it kind of plays like an edit or something like that. Um, every tool that we include in a genre format um, should free up space for that voice to sing through. Yeah. Cool. Okay, I've got a few more things I want to jump through here, and we only got like I, we're running out of time. But because uh, if I don't mention this, I'm going to get in trouble from two wonderful people that I work with. Uh, uh, I want to talk about tech uh, because uh, with Paper yes. Street, we have uh, a improvised lighting designer and improvised sound designer that work with us, and not just technicians that just operate the lights and play music, but designers mm-hmm. who actually like. Uh, our lighting designer does a full hang and does a full lighting design for every show that we do. Uh, and our sound designer actually like he's, he's by day, he builds digital instruments. So when, mm-hmm. when he's doing paper street, he'll like create sounds and find the right instruments in combinations to build the right feeling for that style. So, right? so wonderful. Uh, so so wonderful. we have two incredible people, Dan Godlovich and Emma Dickerson are their names. They're incredible. Uh, and they helped, they, they, when they joined Paper Street, that took us from like good to, oh my God, this feels like theater now, which has uh, always mm-hmm. been our goal. And so I want to talk a little bit about tech because there are certain things that with tech as improvisers, everything becomes so much easier. <laughs> like, yes. Like a, yeah. uh, we did a sci-fi thriller show and being able to have that, that pulsing kind of sound with the lights perfectly uh, through like, like a, like a, with a, with a gobo grid on the ground and a pulsing red light. Uh, And you just have to stand there and everyone's like, Ooh, sci-fi thriller. Right. Like you don't have to do anything. Yeah. 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 Do you do a lot of tech uh, in your shows? Like that's, that's my question. Uh, yes, uh, I I had the luxury of being artistic director of Impro Melbourne for uh, a period, and uh, at the time, uh, and still to this day, but at the time, uh, there were very 
proficient um, uh, lighting improvisers who who would just be in the box. They weren't stage bound uh, at all. Uh, they would, uh, and so for the more theatrical shows that we did, like Fat City or or like a, a Jane Austen show or something like that, they would create and design uh, a set uh, as well, um, and uh, and and light that set. Uh, we have. Uh, not necessarily sound designers, uh, but very talented musicians um, mm-hmm. who understand uh, the genre. And I, as I mentioned yesterday uh, with Zoom, we have a drummer come in and play uh, with that. And, and I like to get a jazz drummer to come in, not an improviser, but a jazz drummer who often knows a lot about improvisation, sure. but has never worked with two actors on the stage before. And it becomes this conversation uh, because they understand improv Anyway, it becomes this conversation between the drums and the performers and this kind of great negotiation in the moment as well. So I like getting things like that in as well, like people who aren't improvisers, air, air quotes, or haven't had a lot of stage with improvise, a lot of with imp- improvising actors on stage. Uh, but yeah, we've had some uh, amazing designs uh, yeah. uh, come up through through our shows, and it and it helps, as you said. You know, if you've got a beautiful lighting, um, you've got a beautiful lighting state and a, a wonderful sound or music uh, being provided, you just have to do less again. Yeah. You know, you, you just have to come out and be in the thing. You don't have to hit the audience over their head. It's that inviting the audience onto stage. Yeah. I had the privilege of doing Fat City with you in uh, a, a Paper Street gig a few years ago. That's right. And, uh, and the, yeah, it was just so lovely to have – uh, a really well lit stage, uh, beautifully set up, and yeah, some some great music. And for mine, I'd love to like my I'd love to be able to here in Melbourne have a air quotes theatrical um, uh, mm-hmm. improvisation company where you know the, it, it, each show is just treated like a piece of theatre. You yeah, know, it's, it's not what like, we do. Hey, we we're do. improvising and and. Uh, and so uh, to that end, I've always been very jealous of, of Paper Street and the amazing work that, that yeah. you guys get like, to do. That is something I should – we also do sets and costumes too, like I should tell everyone. Yeah. I mean, that's like a – I forgot to mention Theodore Sherman does our set design. You'll be mad. He's going to listen to this. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. I love Lovecraft. I hate Theodore. No, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like uh, uh, the set and costume, same thing. It just It just puts you in that world so much easier. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so uh, there's got one other thing I wanted to do with you before we get out of here. I guess two, but one was break down a style right now, me and you. Let's quickly do okay. one. Let's pick one that we haven't done before, one maybe we want to okay. do one day in the future that we've never actually broken down, uh, yep. and then just sort of do our do what we would do just in that first initial like like writing down some thoughts and, and like exploring it. I think that'd be fun for sure. people to hear us do. Uh, and then I also want to ask you one last follow-up question here. Sure. Cool. So right, what so style you want to do? What style you want to do? Uh, look, uh, I... Uh, okay, I, I'll give you one. So example of something I've been thinking about, uh, yeah. and I think we're actually going to do next season in Paper Street. So so this is a live preview of next season. Okay. Uh, is we're going to do a grim fairy tale, uh, like the Brothers right. Grimm, uh, which yep. I think everyone has a, a somewhat of an understanding of, but not as good an understanding as they should have if they want to try and improvise it because i yes. bet most people have only read the modern takes on fairy tales and rarely looked at the actual source of the brothers grim 
Yes. Yeah. I I have uh, I've read uh, a bunch of the Grimm stuff, but I also just have like Matt Damon and and whatever it's like. Uh, oh, who was you in think that? of that stupid movie? <laughs> that dumb movie running through my head right now. So I'm going to get rid of. But I think that's what happens with a lot of improvisers is that is they'll go, oh, grim fairy tales. It's that thing, yeah. And they'll reach back and take the first snippet of of pop culture they can get, and that's what they try to replicate rather yeah. than going back to the source. Yeah. You know? So uh, so with fairy tale, uh, grim fairy tale, grim fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing you do is read a bunch of Grimm fairy tales, obviously. Yes. I mean, just get the Grimm's books and go for it. Yeah. Like, read them all. You try and read the ones you um, don't know, like the, the robber's bridegroom and those those more obscure ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the ones you do know and find, like, pick the differences. Pick how they've been changed yeah. as well, like, you know, because uh, uh, that is going to be a huge key in in telling other stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, see, the thing with fairy tales is the audience often know them, but if you're doing grim fairy tales, you've got to know the structure of of a of a fairy tale, yeah. Um, as as well, so understanding that, uh, will you be retelling, um, like well known fairy tales nah. in the style of grim, or just getting different brand new starting- story tales, brand, yeah. brand new brand new fairy tales. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think yeah. So like, I would start by reading a bunch and then trying to figure out uh, the the language of fairy tales. So this is where I, yes. I look at words first. It's always like my first thing. So like, like looking for those the the, the way they they do repetition in a fairy tale to kind of build mm-hmm. like a lesson or a moral or or a rhythm or things happening in threes like that kind of the the way they use words like that and also yep. see. And this is something where I'll have to look more at the original fairy tales. I haven't done that yet. Uh, but see how much language has changed since then. Like, how old is the mm. language? Are they using? Uh, are they using like "don't" or do they always say "do not"? Like, are they yes. are they speaking more proper and stuff like that? So that's one place. That's the first place I would start. It's just words. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I would start by by uh, yeah comparing s- stories as well and see how mm. much those stories have changed between then and now because if we if you get an offer of a morality tale or or uh you know a, a saying that is uh you know commonplace today that warns children or something like that as your offer you know how do you then break that back down to honor the uh, original kind of thing rather than just playing your fairy tale version of it so yeah. um so by knowing by knowing where th- where and I guess starting with language is a great thing as well. But by knowing where it, sticking a signpost in that, you know how far to get. It's like reading a map. You know you can know where you want to get to, but if you don't know where you are to start with, you can't draw a straight line or or a mo- yeah. most direct route to it. So uh, that works mm-hmm. backwards as well. So so finding reverse engineering those things back into yeah. that style and that genre once you understand it a bit more. Yeah, and then also uh, the other thing I would try to have to ha- I, I have to figure this out for the show is what we're gonna yeah. how we're gonna physicalize this because it's it's stories written down. Yes. They they've never been. I mean, they have been physicalized in so many different ways. So are we gonna look at mm-hmm. uh, a more modern model of like how fairy tale? Like, are we gonna do more like a pantomime sort of bigger, mm-hmm. more over the top actions where people play like you know w- wolves with like two people being the wolf together or are we going to do it in a yeah. more uh more contemporary the wolf is just a guy 
who is called yes. the wolf. Like, like, how are we going to yeah. physicalize these these things? Are we going to use puppets or something to try to to recreate that that fairy tale puppet show type mm-hmm. feel? Uh, so that's the other. That's the second place I look is is always to the physical world that we're in. So like, I've I've got the language and I've got the physical world. And that gives me like a good starting point to now like, okay, now let's dig deeper and find out what's the theme that these are all and about. And also, also become aware of, of what is already out there in terms of that interpretation. So I'm not subconsciously mirroring something that I've already seen because mm-hmm. uh, I've seen a bunch of comic books. Uh, there's a grim comic book that is set in, a, in that kind of world, but it's more of a kind of noir kind mm. of thing uh, as well. Um, yeah. There's, you know, so so there is a lot out there. So understanding what those contemporary interpretations are, so I'm not subconsciously mirroring something that I've that I've yeah. seen. If you're going to um, mirror if something, I am, I, yeah, yeah. If I am, then it's a choice. And, <laughs> yeah. and it, 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 you know, because uh, the last thing you want is to have someone come up to you, see a show, and go, "It's just like that thing," and you're like, "What?" Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. Say, you you want to yeah. say it's just like that thing, and you say, "That's right. That was our inspired part yeah. of inspiration." Yeah, and they yeah. go, "Cool." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so understanding uh, the context of how it's been interpreted already, so you can either lean into that or just you know run away from it as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and then and then the the final, of course, peg is is to figure out what what uh, what world these stories happen in because uh, they mm. all sort of take place. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, if it's a grim fairy tale, it was written by the brothers Grimm. <laughs> In a very specific yes. time period. And so yes. the technology was only from that time period. They had wagons and things. They didn't have uh, you know, flying cars. Uh, and yeah. sort of try to keep it tethered to that to that world or that universe. Um, mm-hmm. Unless we're going to intentionally not. But I think, I think I'm, 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 I'm leaning towards keeping it tethered to the actual universe yeah. those stories were written in. So that at the end of a story, the audience says, that did feel like a grim fairy tale. Yes. Instead yeah. of that was a weird science fiction story that was scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. So good. I yeah. does that help? I think I think it does. I mean, basically we were just like research, research, research. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and and kind of break it down a bit. And I guess that that's a message that's come strongly through this discussion is understand what you wanna what you want to tell, what you want to do, the understand going into the rehearsal room, what you're uh, striving to achieve, and then play with tools to do it. Some will work, some won't. Yeah. Uh, but but you're not going in to achieve the genre in perfection from day dot. You know, you're trying to find play with it and find what works to tell stories within that genre that are interesting, innovative, uh, and true. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, plug things in, take them out, um, see what works, what doesn't. And and uh, I think I really love that as a, as an, a performer and as an actor, but even uh, as an improviser, I think sometimes we go into rehearsals with a genre or a director and just kind of wait to be told what to do. Um, and uh, and I, I expect a lot more of my improvisers. I, I expect them to be playing with, with what I bring in and stretching it and trying to break it and, and see how it goes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and see how malleable it is and, and if, if it works and if it doesn't, why not, you know. Yeah. And I think that, 
that that's a, a really wonderful place to get yourselves into. This is what we want, but uh, and this is what we're striving for. Uh, but how are we going to get there? So the form becomes something that you negotiate to honor the feeling that you bring into the rehearsal room. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the form is the the form follows the 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 feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. And then the last thing I just wanted to to touch on before we we say goodbye for today is uh, is the reason people should do genre work because uh, this is something that I think about all the time. And one of the reasons mm-hmm. I've I've continued to to look into genres and and study them is because it makes me a better improviser. Period outside yeah. of genre work. So uh, I think uh, the, 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 I can't, I can't even list the number of times I've been doing just a normal show, a, just a jam show or a Herald uh, where uh, a suggestion gets thrown out. That's like chicken coop. And I'm like chicken coop. And then I start and I'm like hot and I'm sweaty. And I start yeah. speaking in a, Tennessee Williams poetic type of mm-hmm. reflection and the other improviser on stage knows what I'm doing and comes out mm-hmm. and joins me in that feeling. And they might not know Tennessee Williams, but they're accepting yep. all these offers of mood. And now suddenly this show, this scene feels so different and its own piece of the whole yep. larger puzzle. And it really feels like we shifted away from what I think of as the style of improv, right? That, that improv mm-hmm. style of really yeah. energetic people moving around positively yeah. right down stage center uh, and enters yeah. into this whole new world. And we take the audience into this new world for a while. Uh, and so I think genre as, as like, just, just for that, but also the tools you get from looking at different genres, like yeah, you learn so many different techniques for dialogue or for physicality that you would never have even thought of if you never tried to do a David Mamet show, right? Like things like that. Yeah. And I think uh, I agree 100% with those things. The only thing that I would add is it teaches you to listen differently as well. So it teaches you to listen with the the author's voice in your head. Um, yeah. So you, yes, you might receive the offer of a Tennessee Williams or something like that. But even before that, you it's a gift that you can give yourself. So essentially you have all these different ears inside your head. Yeah. Um, so when you receive Chicken Coop, you can choose the loudest one or the one that comes to you the most. So sure. it's the ability to listen through uh, a, a variety of different filters or different ways to, to interpret the same offer in 10 different ways in an, inst- in an instant because you understand how that offer filters through those different genres in different ways. Yeah, so, yeah totally. I think that's that's where I'd the real advantage of people committing to to that kind of genre is it teaches you to hear things differently. And the other thing I would add to listening is you start looking for those mood offers and those feeling yes. offers and those genre offers that your partner's making that they might not even know they're making. They're just yes. doing an offer and you're like, ooh, they're doing it in a very like sort of heavy way and with a mm-hmm. with a brooding uh, atmosphere. I'm going to join them in that atmosphere. Uh, and help build it out, and it, and you're accepting more than just what they said. You're accepting how they said it, how they did it, and what it meant. Uh, yes, right, I and, wish the listening audience could see how hard I am nodding right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's beautiful, and it and it's one of the things that as a theatrical improviser, or at least striving to be uh, doing improv that feels like theater, uh, it gets us out of. Um, 
It gets us into looking as though we are all speaking in the same voice, even yes. though we're not, right? Improv is one of the beautiful things about improv is we're bringing all these different people's perspectives and kind of smashing them together. Uh, and then you bring you, I bring me, we find a story together, right? Like that's the, the beauty of improv. Uh, but when we've all found the same genre and these little rules that we're sort of following uh, subconsciously, it feels like we're doing a play that was written by one voice, uh, yes. that was our collective consciousness, right? Mm. Yeah, and I, I I love that, and I love that people come out of that show going, "It feels like it was written." It kind of it's the most backhanded compliment in improv is yeah, that yeah. audience come out going, "It can't have been improvised." There's <laughs> yeah. absolutely no way that that was improvised, and they don't trust you, and you're just like, "Well, come back again tomorrow night." Like it's yeah. it's we- it's. Uh, it's what we strive for, but it's also the most backhanded compliment. It's something that happens with Paper Street shows is we do get people who come to more than one because they want to see how different it is. And they're always pleasantly surprised. Like the last show we did this uh, was, uh, and maybe the last show we'll ever do. Oh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The last show we did was was an improvised Martin McDonough. And if uh, mm-hmm. you're out there listening, going, who? Everybody else did the same thing. Don't worry. Uh, he's an <laughs> Irish playwright. Uh, I mean, he's grown up in London, but he, his parents are from Ireland. He writes about Ireland. Yeah. Uh, and wrote uh, The Pillow Man is his most famous work of uh, uh, play. But he also did The Three Billboards outside of uh, whatever, yeah. Evans, Missouri, and, and, and Bruges, Bruges, and all those yeah. great movies. I made a movie with Peter Dinklage. Really? Name drop. I'll just pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was on set with him, and I'd just been in Bruges, and then he was on set with me. This was before Game of Thrones time. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, dude, I was just in Bruges, and then I'm like, what is this conversation <laughs> you're having right now? <laughs> Where is this going to go, Jason? <laughs> Why? Uh, but um, but he uh, but anyway so so we just did this improvised Mark McDonough show and the structure for the show I'm just going to tell you this because you won't believe me the structure was it's a play that was the structure yeah. there was that, like so anything that can happen that makes it feel like a play so Beautiful. keep the locations limited right maybe one maybe two but probably just one or one or two at max. And we're the same character the whole time. Unless you're just a bit character, then you could be more bit characters because that happens in play. Uh, But it's a play. That was the structure. And so every night we did a different play uh, that felt like a Martin McDonough play. Uh, And so people came one night and it's like, it's an, it's the whole thing takes place with just these cops interrogating somebody and there's these monologues happening in between them. And they're like, Ooh, that's the structure. Cool. Monologues in between. Uh, and then the next night they come back and we're doing like a bunch of people trapped being hunted by a serial killer and they're all like trapped somewhere. And you're like, Whoa, that's very different feeling. Uh, and every night was just a completely different story. And that's like, to me, that's like, "Mm." Oh, that's 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 yeah, when when i know so. i'm doing it right when the audience doesn't believe me and then they come back yeah. and they're like okay i believe you now yeah, yeah. i yeah it's it, it's it's amazing and it's 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 something to strive for and uh yeah uh, it's yeah. Uh, I, i'm very jealous that uh, and and very angry that you're on the other goddamn side of the world dave morris hey i tried to bring you here 
<laughs> you did try to bring me, to be honest. You did. Yeah, I mean, like, just the other day I was on set with Warwick Davis. Ooh, name drop. Just going to pick that up there. Uh, I wasn't on set with Warwick Davis. Okay. And you were like, I was just I was just in Endor. And, uh, <laughs> uh, where's this? Oh, where's this going to go, going? Dave? <laughs> All right. Okay, well, we've, 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 uh, we've taken a lot of people's time uh, on, already on this. Um, but thanks so much, Jason. That was a good, good, uh, good chat. Uh, anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, have fun, stay safe. <laughs> have fun, stay safe, and really explore genre. If you haven't, because you think it's it's too structured, uh, there are ways to do it do it well. Yeah, uh, and if you think there's no good purpose of it, uh, just the tools you learn is so worth it. Yeah, yeah, oh. absolutely, one hundred percent. And I'd encourage you if you are looking to do genre, reach out to either Dave or myself. Like I'm more than happy to talk about it with anyone. Really, yeah, we got um, lots of time uh, on our hands. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> for a small fee was it no 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 <laughs> no but please reach Thanks out thanks so yeah. much and of course you can f- uh, find Jason and his other podcasts uh, of course uh, uh, how about this and uh, the dictionary of moments uh, and you can find me uh, davemorris.tv uh, we'll find everything there cool alright uh, good night Jason I mean goodbye good goodbye Jason good after good uh, late afternoon it's 4.30 here I'll see you uh, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow yeah I'll talk to you tomorrow uh, my tomorrow which is your today that's correct. All right. No, uh, my uh, hang on. What? <laughs> <laughs> your tomorrow. It'll still be my tomorrow. My tomorrow yeah, is your today. It, my tomorrow. Yeah, that because that's because right now it's it's Monday. Uh, it's, it's Monday here. It's Monday here. Yeah, it's Tuesday. It's four thirty-five p.m. Tuesday. So my tomorrow is your today. <laughs> that's correct. We, you got it. Okay, that was not worth talking about. All right, no. I'm gonna stop recording. <laughs> Just cut that bit out. <laughs>